The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. I think it's just the beginning of uh, the dog really being a family member, so not just a best friend. Welcome to The Exchange, a conversation with people of interest to business and financial professionals around the world. I'm Lauren Silva Laughlin, the U.S. editor of Reuters Breaking Views, which is the global financial commentary arm of Reuters News. And I'm coming to you from New York City and Times Square. For this week's episode, I sat down with the founder of PhytoCure, Christina Lopez. PhytoCure is a company that uses gene sequencing to try to help pet owners cure cancer for their pets. And I talked to Christina a bit about how the pet business has exploded during the pandemic and how much money people are spending on their pets. She thinks that this is going to help humans too, what she calls helping people on, quote, both sides of the leash. I pretend to be a very skeptical pet person who doesn't like to spend a lot of money. Have a listen. Hi, Christina. How are you? Hi, Lauren. Pleasure to be here. Thanks so much for joining me. I have to ask you, are you at work and do you bring your dog to work? I am at the office. My two dogs are at home today because they are still puppyish and not the best behaved. So we are working on that. So they are home today, but they do pop in, of course. So how long have you been a dog? Uh, I hate to say dog owner because it, it doesn't have like a great connotation, right? You're probably a, a dog raiser. Well, actually, that's a, that's a great point to start off. Really, most what you call pet owner want to identify themselves as pet parents. And there's even data around that. Um, you know, I think many studies that are really showing um, that human-animal bond. And so there's that sense of family. So, yes, pet parent is how I identify myself. <laughs> it's funny you say that because the pandemic brought this onslaught of people getting pets. People were lonely. They had more time to take care of them. And and people went out. I mean, dog shelters were empty. Nobody could find a dog. And and throughout that, the, the amount of money that people started spending on their pets, I mean, this has been a trend that's happening over the past many years, but really the pandemic, there was this massive boom in spending on pets. And what I sort of think about as the humanization of pets, not just people giving them like human grade dog food, but, or food, I should say, but also what your company sort of does spend quite a lot of money on pet healthcare. Yes. That's been a trend probably in the making, right? If we think of dogs as co-evolving with us and now at a certain apex that I I think is just the beginning of uh, the dog really being a family member. So not just the best friend and not just the addition of so many COVID babies, but a fundamental shift, Lauren, exactly what you're pointing to, where by the caretaking, the instinct to caretake for the pets and actually the market creation, right? So the availability of more products um, and more products of not just, you know, chachkas and Halloween costumes, but actual care, in my case, healthcare, right? Cancer care, genomic care, precision medicine. So that is all happening and it's happening in an accessible and democratic way so that we close the gap between what we see for humans, 
back to your point, right? Humanization and our pets. So what's fascinating, I'm just going to put on my, my sort of, I'm just going to pretend I'm sort of my, my evil heartless husband who has this like idea. We have, a pet, we have a pet, Charlie. We love her. She's amazing. She's a part of our family, but he always says, I'm not going to do anything that makes me feel like she's more important in this family than I am. Right. And so this whole concept of spending loads of money on a pet is pretty fascinating because you get this tension between human care and dog care. And when you look out in the world and you think about all the equality that exists out there and you think about pets being a luxury, right? You start to wonder like, what's the purpose? What's the point of having companies that help facilitate all of the spending for, for animals, for pets, when there's so much need for money that goes towards humans? Oh, that's a fabulous question. So first of all, I'll say about myself, I am a mission person and very committed to social justice at, at my own, you know, and however I can. So I, what we're bringing to pets is by no means a luxury. Okay. It's care that's available. That's now become very accessible. So I, in a way, thread that needle and reconcile these opposing views and I think what we're doing as a mission company is actually saying we can help pets. We can deliver amazing care, cutting edge 21st century care. We can do it in this very reasonable, accessible way. And guess what? The data and what we learn from, in our case, looking at cancer, which is the number one killer of dogs. And we, you know, they're amazing tools. What we learn there from the dogs actually can then help accelerate human care also because of the similarities. Remember, they co-evolved, right? The species actually share some health and disease aspects. So I can totally, on one hand, sympathize with your husband. And then on the other hand, with, you know, the millions of pet parents who want to shower their, their pets, their dogs with love and with, um, you know, accessories and, and then have fun, almost celebrate them. So those are kind of two extremes where, you know, we come in is, hey, we, we can do this in not in Florida, either or, but an and. So we're bringing the two together as reconcilers. Does that make sense? So it kind of, I mean, I guess I don't understand well enough what your company, how your company really works in terms of how it's, how it's mapping or curing cancer in dogs in a way that, that could be applied to humans. And then how you take that data and information and, and what you do with it, you know, afterwards, because you're, you're obviously not curing human cancer, but then what you're, what you're learning somehow helps, I, I, I am assuming sort of get applied to that. Yeah, so we start actually looking at the disease state, right, cancer, and seeing, first and foremost, are there similarities between canine and human cancer? And guess what? There are loads of similarities, not just the tumors, right? They are, there's lung cancer and the equivalent of breast cancer, but then also at the driver, at the, if cancer is a genetic disease, at that genetic driver, there are lots of similarities. So that's kind of the science. Oh, interesting. What, so do you find, sorry, um, one quick question on that. Do you find that if a dog has cancer, there's a higher likelihood of an individual in their family having cancer, meaning 
do you find that there are some external factors that increase the cancer or are you really just looking at the sort of genetic makeup of a dog and finding that there are similarities between whatever their genetic makeup is and the sort of higher cancer causing rate in a human? So I will say that we have had many pet parents that themselves, they have cancer and their dog has cancer. So and the that same kind does of cancer, happen. Like lung cancer or uh, something? We've, we've even seen very similar cancers. However, wow, that's, that's a hard... It is interesting, right? Uh, however, I would say that um, we're, we're, you know, cancer is multifactorial. There's the genetic part, there's the environment, nutrition, the immune system. There are many components, right? We're very much looking at the genetic part and where the similarities are, but the genetic is one angle. Then you have, you know, the, let's say the uh, environmental triggers, right? Which is where you're going. And certainly, right. right, dogs being lower to the ground, closer to, you know, pesticides, dogs get, mm -hmm. uh, you know, secondhand smoke, right? Mm -hmm. um, depending mm -hmm. on a pet, pet parent's diet, they might be throwing scraps. Um, I've heard <laughs> of a study in, yeah, in Texas about, um, you know, certain causes, you know, like smoked foods, right? Uh, so looking at the dog and the human. So, so there, there's, it's so rich, Lauren. There's so much for us to understand. And that's where this best friend of ours, the dog family member becomes even, even more interesting. So again, reconciling those worlds where we can actually learn from both sides of the leash and bring, you know, advancements together, not in intention. So, so, so pretend I'm, so, yeah, pretend I'm, uh, because I am actually someone who knows nothing about how genes and cancer and healthcare really works you have a dog, the dog has cancer. Like, what are you learning from the actual genetic makeup and how do you learn that? And then how does that get applied to helping figure out ways to cure cancer in humans? Um, so we, that's exactly what we do. <laughs> so great question. Um, first of all, we sequence the dog's tumor. So DNA sequencing. So we figure out what is driving that dog. You know, that dog is unique. We're figuring out the uniqueness of that dog's cancer also, just like you do with humans. You're in New York City, right? If you went to Memorial Sloan Kettering, and ho hopefully not you, but someone, this is what they would do. They would sequence the tumor. So we're bringing that technology. The price of that technology has gone way down. It used to be billions of dollars. It's now hundreds. So we can do this. And we can do this, again, from both sides of the leash. So we are part of driving the engine of understanding what is the genetic genomic landscape of the dog's tumor. So we find BRCA, which you might've heard of, right? Um, mm, it's quite known, right. associated with women's mm -hmm. breast cancer, right? So BRCA, KRAS, I mean, all sorts of really interesting mutations that you see also in the human world. And importantly, that there are drugs designed to target that mutation. So really go at that specific dogs, in this case, driver of cancer versus chemo radiation, which might zap the cancer, but also all the healthy cells because it's a very one size fits all. So we're going at that precision medicine, really bringing that in an accessible way for dogs lifting from what exists in humans already, right? Figuring mm -hmm. out the similarities and then helping the dogs. 
So if you have a dog that has a certain type of cancer and there's a medication that can treat that cancer, is that medication one that in the future could be used for humans, but is at this point in a trial phase and therefore the pet owner maybe doesn't want to put their dog through chemo and would give them this medicine and then you can sort of take what you've learned from the dog and apply that to humans? Is that how that works? Or is or is it a, so, a drug that's already been approved for humans that then are, is being given to dogs? So phase one for us, step one, is lifting what exists already for humans that's been FDA approved, that's had billions of dollars in investment, tons of de-risking, right? Safety first. So we're starting PhytoCure as the first platform to really enable this entire toolbox in precision medicine for dogs in an accessible way. However, as we learn and we understand the cancer journey in dogs, right, and see how similar it is to humans, metastases, all sorts of really interesting, um, you know, concordant, like similarities, we then can also interrogate, hey, maybe Biopharma has this new drug. It has not been FDA approved for humans yet. It's very promising. And there's relevancy for a dog with, say, BRCA, right? Just to use something that um, is mm-hmm. more widely known. We can actually help run a clinical trial. And we actually have done this already in partnership with ASI, Global Pharma, where we looked at a drug, right? And looked in a specific type of cancer, sarcoma, which is very prevalent in dogs. Happens in humans too, but less so and generated interesting data that then now is helping the human clinical trial, which is complicated, expensive, right? Really get the risk. So that's where we can actually help on one hand, take what exists in humans and bring it to the dog and then help figure out the new, what, what's, what's next? Of course, safety first and informed consent of the pet parent, right? This is um, a complete patient. This is the dog as a total patient, never a subject. So then where are you? Uh, well, I have, I have more questions than less, but where are you, I guess, in, in the sort of like life cycle of the company? I mean, have you treated a lot of dogs and had success in curing cancer? Or are you in, you know, what phase are you in? So we have a... Um, peer-reviewed paper in Nature Precision Oncology, which is one of the most esteemed kind of academic uh, scientific publications, where we demonstrate that we have already treated thousands of dogs with this human toolbox. And in the paper, Lauren, it's fascinating because we're showing that these drugs designed for humans work in dogs. And then also that because we can generate such a large scale data set, we can start figuring out predictions, right? So not just being reactive in healthcare and the delivery of care, not even being uh, proactive, being predictive. So figuring out, this is again, uh, an aha moment of where the dog can really play a role for both sides of the leash, where we Mm. might be able to do, understand things in a predictive way, right? Because what's happening in in the healthcare world, right? The human healthcare world is it's very expensive and we treat, you know, treatments are really happening across all disease states really too late. 
and they cost a lot. It's a very heavy burden for, for all of us as taxpayers, right? This is not just the US, this is globally. So the dog, where we know there are similarities, we can really learn and we can learn because frankly, the dog also lives a shorter, right? An accelerated lifespan. Um, and so there's a lot that we can, uh, you know, leverage the, do the dog for. In this paper, this is what we demonstrate, that the, what we learn in dogs in cancer is predictive for humans, is also predictive for the dog. And this is just the beginning. So how do you, okay, I'm going to ask you maybe a hard question. How do you, on one side, deal with the skeptics like my husband who say, okay, you know, we're never spending that much money on our pet. And then on the other side, and I'm not sure this is a criticism you get, but I, I sense it probably would be deal with people saying, oh, you're using pets for animal testing. This is a big pushback that the pharma industry has gotten for, you know, years and years. Like, how do you sort of marry that in the, in this sort of public conversation um, yeah. to say, hey, like, yeah, have this kind of concept of both sides of the leash really resonate? Yeah, that's uh, so let's start with the animal testing side, right? They, um, you know, induce disease in healthy animals and then test their therapy in that healthy, that originally healthy animal, right? That now has kind of an artificial disease in a lab setting. So very sterilized setting, maybe six, uh, you know, floors underground. And that gives results, okay? However, it doesn't recapitulate the life of a human, right? Who is walking around as, you know, we were saying getting secondhand smoke, eating bad food. So it doesn't recapitulate our, our real life. It can give some data, but, it, but it's expensive also. And then mm. think about this, Lauren, you have this plethora of pets that we were just talking about, and it is not just the 1% having pets, right? Pets are part of the American life. They're part of the global life now. Almost half of U.S. households have a dog, right? We know half of the households are across many, right, of uh, socioeconomic um, strata. So that is there. And many of those dogs, sadly, will get cancer in our case, right? So there's an opportunity there if we understand the cancers are similar, which we do, and our, our paper proves that. Um, and we're not the only ones, the National Academies of Medicine in the United States, the NIH, I mean, there, there's a whole academic field behind this. So if we can leverage what we learn in the dog to crush cancer, do it naturally, not inducing disease, but actually using what's there. Lauren, this is circular economy. This is where the world needs to be at for this century in every sector, right? What is the and, not the either or? And in this sense, you know, now addressing your husband, it's actually so reconciled and accessible. We're in an age of AI, we're in an age of genomics where the prices are just lowered so dramatically. There's actually, it's a misconception that you have to do all these fancy things and it's so expensive you can actually do it. Um, again, the technologies are just advancing so rapidly. Interesting. I'll have to have him listen to this podcast. Um, 
So last question. I will love um, it. <laughs> I'm asking on behalf of my colleagues. So uh, we were we were we were having a conversation the other day because we saw that there was a new pet telehealth company, and and um, we're like, wow, you know, this whole this whole world of pets has taken on a life of its own. Like, at what point? At what point is it too much or does this world, in your opinion, or do you feel like this world between pets and humans continues to converge? Meaning, is there a limit to the benefits that that one can bring the other? Well, I mean, I'm obviously, you know, biased. Okay. So <laughs> here's my response. I would say there's a worldwide mental health crisis of loneliness of you know real isolation there are probably many factors driving towards this but this is real and the data is there and the dog is one one right there are many solutions to that but one of the let's say most obvious and easiest to some degree solutions to decrease loneliness right for you know think of even the issue with uh, diabetes globally right and weight gain and all of that the dog can be a source of exercise. So, you know, I, I feel it's a regenerative, a very positive, again, I'll use circular, almost a circular, like, like positive spiral that I see that the dog helps the human, the human helps the dog and that bond, right. Which is so deep gets even deeper. And I don't think of love. Let's, let's use that word. Um, I don't think as love as limited. I think it's limitless. So the more you're generating that bond, the more actually, I believe from the humankind angle, you're going to have um, openness and there's all sorts of studies, right? About mindfulness and, and when you take care of yourself in a certain way and practice loving kindness, where you can go as a person. And I think it starts with us as people that we, we, we all really need this. And the dog is one very central way. And the data shows it, right? Half of the households with dogs. I mean, wh why is that? Is that, is that helpful? I mean, I have to say I'm, I'm biased too, because I do love my Charlie. So here, here. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, I mean, we're obviously on one side, right? Um, so no, no I mean, but I also I'm deeply concerned about some of these topics that we're talking about. So I, I actually I really genuinely believe in, in, in what I'm saying, given the state of the world in certain aspects beyond even what we were saying initially about healthcare and cancer. There are all these other um, ways in which the companionship for starters is so vital. Well, Christina, this was really fascinating. I appreciate the time and good luck and good luck to all of your patients too. Thank you so much. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you very much, Christina, for your time. And thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Katrina Hamlin in Hong Kong. You can find more episodes on Megaphone or your favorite podcast app and check out our sister podcast, The Views Room. Also check us out at breakingviews.com and on Twitter, where our handle is at breakingviews.